51 years ago this month, Hurricane Agnes made landfall along Florida's panhandle before moving up the East Coast. As it reached Pennsylvania, Agnes collided with a cold front, causing heavy rainfall for several days. This resulted in widespread flooding in many areas, particularly along the Susquehanna River and its tributaries. The flood water overwhelmed riverbanks, submerging towns, destroying infrastructure, and displacing thousands of people. Dennis Frizzy was 11 years old at the time, but clearly remembers the day he had to flee his home on Hoke Island in the Susquehanna River. There was so much debris floating down the river, um, we couldn't get off. So thank God we had the telephone lines and they came and picked us up in the helicopters. I say my mom was five months pregnant with my little brother Bobby. And like I said, with 19 of us came walking across that bridge and we were the last ones uh, before they closed it down. It took years to get rid of that smell. I mean, even when it rained years later, you could smell, I'll never forget that smell. Rivers are incredible forces of nature, powerful, awe-inspiring, but when they flood, they can pose a serious risk to the people who call the riverbanks home. What can make it even more dangerous is the confusion about how river levels are monitored and what a river stage actually is. Today, we are going off the radar and into the world of river flood forecasting. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Rivers around the country are constantly being monitored with gauges. The term stream gauging, it's used to mean measurement of flow as well as river water level. The gauges are at a fixed point, but they differ in level depending on the river location where they're installed. It can make it a bit confusing when you hear a TV meteorologist talk about river heights. The Big Sioux River at Akron and Haywarden is expected to crest just below 18 feet, which is moderate flood stage later this week. Currently, the river sits at about 13 feet. Flood stage begins at about 16 feet. In today's episode, we're going to explain river forecasting. My colleague at the National Weather Desk, Matt Ritter, brought up this idea. So, of course, I had to bring him into the discussion. Matt's a fellow meteorologist and worked in television in Pennsylvania for many years. So he brought some really great insight into the problems that folks on the rivers experience. We'll also have David Andreik join the conversation. David's a hydrologist at the Middle Atlantic River Forecast Center. He's going to help clear up the river stage confusion and tell us about some new technology in river flood forecasting that will certainly save lives. And then later, we'll hear from Dr. Jeremy Porter from the First Street Foundation. 
They just released a report this week showing that flood standards that NOAA's been using for years may be outdated. They've created some new precipitation modeling that shows some parts of the country are prone to get a 100-year flood, more like every eight years. So sit back, get ready to learn, and enjoy a deep dive into the world of river flooding. David, and I want to also introduce people to Matt Ritter, who also works for the National Weather Desk and is a former broadcast meteorologist as well. We're both recovering broadcast meteorologists and enjoying this side of things very much. Right, Matt? Oh, I I still get to fill in every now and then, but generally speaking, yeah. So your toes are wet, but you're not in the defense. You can never leave. (laughs) It's in your blood, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you brought up this topic, Matt, of river flooding, which initially I was like, you know, it was well, I was uh, like, I don't know. I don't know. But then you explained. And the well, more you talked about it, the more I realized how much I don't know about river stages. Yes. Yeah. A lot of folks hear the term river stages and uh, it means a lot to people who have direct interests, people who have businesses, people who live right along rivers and streams and uh, it's, it can be a confusing topic to people who have di- or are directly affected by these waterways, but um, uh, there's a lot of uh, confusion about what exactly they are yeah. and what they and what their relevance is, what they mean. But even worse, I've heard some people in our field directly get the terms wrong sometimes. So. I figured why not use this podcast as a perfect platform to consult with uh, an expert to you know finally get it out there what do these things mean what the relevance is and and you know how how things could change in the future. Yeah, so David, give us a little background on where you work cuz you work for the National Weather Service but it's yeah. kind of a subset of that, correct? Right. So I work for the National Weather Service and I'm stationed at the Middle Atlantic River Forecast Center in State College, Pennsylvania. And so you're probably more familiar with the local National Weather Service office. There's 122 of those across the United States, and they cover an area about as far as a radar can see. And we're much, we cover a much bigger area at the river forecast centers. There's only 13 of those in the nation. And so we cover major river basins. So for example, ours in State College, we cover major river basins like the Susquehanna River Basin, the Delaware River Basin, the Raritan, uh, the Passaic, the Potomac, uh, the James and the Appomattox River Basins. So we're much bigger, and uh, we're and even though we're bigger, we encompass seven National Weather Service offices, but we are the smallest of all the river forecast centers across the nation. Oh, interesting. And, and, what yeah, do you mean by small? Like just less people well, work there? Yeah. So like there are some that are 10 times bigger than us. Uh, uh, the Northeast River Forecast Center is uh, slightly bigger than us, but some like the Missouri River Basin, uh, they go from parts of the Northwest uh, United States all the way to the Ohio River. Uh, so yeah, they're much, much bigger uh, in area. And you're and you're exclusively focused on the waterways, uh, hydrology concerns. Yeah, hydrology, and and so uh, not only we do flooding, but you know we're we calculate a lot of the data for the drought, which is what's you know kind of going on right now. So like um, uh, when you see uh, drought departures, when the, a county says you know we're seven inches below normal for the last ninety days, uh, that's kind of where they're getting the the data from. Okay, so you're involved with like fire weather forecasting, 
which is funny to think uh, of well, given the. Yeah, I think it's uh, we don't do the fire weather forecasting per se, but uh, I think it's it's shown that the the it's drive through the data. Right. So the elements are going into that. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about how you monitor the rivers. Can you right. tell people when we say certain stages, what is a river stage? Yeah. So uh, a river stage is we're just measuring how much water is in the river from, <laughs> this is where it kind of gets confusing, an arbitrary point. They're not related to sea level. Uh, there, it's kind of an arbitrary point. And so, you know, some, some may say that you, you're saying there's only 40 feet of water in, in the river at point A and only 20 feet of water in the river at point B. And it's kind of arbitrary. So you kind of got to get that out of your head. Right. And to not, not to, not to lead your comment, but a lot of folks, including some meteorologists think a river stage is a river depth and that's yeah, not necessarily not. true. That's right? absolutely right. That's a that's a great way of explaining. It's not the depth of the river, uh, because uh, you could have a river stage of seventeen feet, but there's only four feet of water in the <laughs> in the river. And it's and it, and it's it, it took me a long time to to, yeah. to find to finally get yeah. that. I don't right. remember learning it in school. I don't think I had to take that course. No, yeah, but. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The arbitrary part is is kind of a, a a hard concept to get by. When a river or a stream is at a certain stage, we know from history, right, that that has an impact on the shoreline. Right. right. And and so yeah, so they measure up from that arbitrary point, and we know when we get up to a certain level from that point is when we start seeing impacts on people whether it's, you know, a field being flooded or somebody's house getting water in their basement or a, a road being closed, things like that. Right. And so you, and one must wonder uh, a little bit, is it even a flood unless there are buildings and structures and roads or people in the way? That, that is, that's by definition, it, that is our definition. Unless there's an impact to someone, some structure it's not considered a flood. So the general public should not pay attention to numbers. They should pay attention to advisories, watches, warnings. Well, they should pay attention to both. Most people who live by a river know the level of the water that impacts them, unless they've just moved there. Uh, like, and so, you know, there are times when I first moved here uh, as a hydrologist, I went out and I met with people and they taught me uh the people that have lived there for a long time they they could tell me i remember people taking me to to their barns and saying this is the level where agnes reached and this is the level where you know january 96 reached and you know they taught me what impacted their particular place I, uh, I know from experience, uh, I used to live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. One of my favorite taverns when I visit friends at home still has a mark of where the Conestoga River flooded sure. during Agnes, which is considered the flood of record uh, in, the, in the good old 717. And I forget, what was it, last year or the year before, we were going to have the worst possible flooding since since Agnes, and, and I remember the reference point, and I got a hold of all my friends. I got a hold of my friend who owns that particular tavern, and I said, hey, get your electronics out of the basement. Right, sure. Get it in the, in the attic. This could be one of the worst things you've ever seen. And he, and that's what happened. 
That was Ida. Thank you. I knew it was an eye storm. One of those one of those eye storms. So I'm curious about the gauges themselves. How do you Wait. are you guys in charge of setting those no. up? And no. who who does that and how is it decided where they go? I'm glad you mentioned that because we could not do what we do without the USGS, US Geological Survey. They put out all the gauges, they maintain them, and they're fabulous. I mean, I couldn't say enough good things about them. And it's it's a lot of hard work. I mean, installing these gauges, if you ever drive across the bridge and you see a little house on the side of the bridge, it looks like a little porta potty. And that's the gauge house. And it holds oh. the equipment inside of it. And so what they have to do is they have to dig down from that spot down to the water level. And then they go down beneath the water level. And then they run pipes out into the water to let the water filter into that protected area above the gauge house and then they house the equipment up in the house and it's a, they have a variety of different gauges um uh they have a float gauge that uh they run a wire down and they put like an upside down pie plate in there and it floats up and down it's on a uh, on a uh, pulley system and it's got a counterweight and when the water goes out up the pie plate raises and the counterweight goes down and they can measure the length of this of the of the of the wide and they can convert that into a number and it's got a satellite uh link to it and once an hour it'll send that number up to the satellite the satellite takes it and relays it to our receiving station in wallops island and then from Wallops Island, it comes to our office. Is that like a more updated version? Is that new technology? <laughs> we've, been, we've been doing it this way uh, for 30 years. Oh. And it's it's a very short, we only need a burst. They have, they're assigned a minute, uh, a minute or two window that they send their data to. Because there's, there's thousands and thousands of these across the country. So they have a, an assigned time frame that they send their their data to. And yeah, so it's a very well-oiled machine. And we don't need, they don't need much satellite time to do this. So that's one type of gauge. So you've probably seen the other types of gauge, the real, the old ones are just lines painted on a bridge. Those are called staff gauges. Okay. And the mo most recent kind they have are pressure transducers or bubbler gauges. And, um, these, they run a, a pipe out into the, uh, a hose out into the water, and they send a bubble of air out there, and they can measure the pressure it takes to send that bubble out there, and they can convert that to how much water is there, how much pressure the pressure it takes to send that water out. They can calculate how high the water is above that, which is really neat. It's, it's pretty amazing. And they convert the heights to that. Are all of the technologies in, like in the river? Are there any technologies being worked on that are like remote sensing? There are a couple. They have a Doppler uh, measure uh, measurement, uh, and it sits above up on the bridge, and it uh, it measures the time it takes for the Doppler pulse to hit the water and bounce back. Is there any that are better? Uh, yeah. I think they're just as accurate, uh, but they're pretty expensive. Gotcha. Yeah. So these other ones have been, you know, tested 
over decades and, and, you know, they're pretty easy to maintain. They're good at it. So I think that's probably why they're, they're still out there. You mentioned Agnes. I'm curious about the coastal aspect of things and tidal flooding. And if you have relationships and work closely with the tidal flood people, yeah, because it is like I, where I live in Charleston, South Carolina, you can look at river flooding, but it's so tidal dependent. Uh, for our office in 2012, we started picking up a few tidal forecast points, and it gets it gets pretty tricky with the moon t- the moon the tides and freshwater impacts. So we have to create a new hydraulic model uh, to do this, and uh, so it, it's it's very tricky. We have five points that we forecast title in our, our total number of points is 175 that we forecast for every day. And five of those are title points. Three of them are in the DC area. We have one in the James river and one up near Philadelphia. And we forecast those hourly compared to our normal forecast where every six hours. So it's a, a little different. Uh, Dave, I, I, I think that the, the uh, hydro models, the ones that you use to put out your river f- flood warnings and advisors, I, I think they're excellent. I mean, obviously, they don't, they're not as good as predicting the future, but I think they provide tremendous, uh, tremendously accurate guidance in terms of being able to prepare folks. I was wondering, uh, how, you know, how, how do you think the freshwater uh, is handled uh, versus the tidal water. Of course, here in my market, we have both. I yeah, have the right, I have right. the tidal Potomac, and I have the last freshwater one to Georgetown. Okay, yeah. So uh, the tides, you know, we're pretty good at. We know the tide cycle. Uh, we can predict that for hundreds of years in the future if we wanted to. Uh, it's uh, the freshwater has has a big impact, but also you know a big system like a big. If we get a big blowout tide. We're not quite as good uh, experienced forecasting how how much can blow out or how much can blow in. It's and that's just years of experience. And when I say we're not that experienced, we may be off by a foot or two because of those those things. And you know when we're talking about you know the magnitude of those, that's a small magnitude. Uh, but we're getting better. And then being able to put that into the equation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Once we get more experience, we fix the we fix the math. So how long can, do you often see impacts of river flooding post an event? So it depends upon uh, the basin you're in. So first, the Susquehanna Basin, um, you can have things happen in the northern part of the basin and three, four days it's out the, the southern end. Uh, but then there's other basins where it takes a week or more. Sounds like eating a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's different for every base. Yeah, we had the historic flooding in like um, 2015, I want to say, down here. And okay. it was weeks and weeks. Like the Edisto River was yeah. a huge problem three, okay. four weeks later. Yeah. And th- that also depends upon the duration of the rain. If you have, you know, five, ten days of historic rain, it's going to take much longer uh, for it to, for it to work its way through the system, especially if you have you know the the tides clogging it, right? And it out. Has climate change made a difference in in the gauges? Have, have they had to be moved because of excessively high water or low water? That's a good question. I don't know offhand any gauges that have had to been at least none come to mind right now 
But you got to remember when when the USGS installs these gauges, they install them so they are above the record floods. Uh, they they harden these gauges to make sure that they can handle what the record flood has been and then some. And so these gauges for for much of our area have been uh, installed to handle things like Agnes in January 96 and the 1936 flood. So they were set. We have a high bar that has already been set. Uh, for, for folks at home who may not know, January 1996, that was, are you referencing the yeah. famous ice jam on yeah, the Susquehanna? The yes, yes. We, yeah, had a, we, had a, we had a flash flood in Harrisburg on the Susquehanna River because of an ice jam that broke. Correct. Took out half of the Marcus Street Bridge. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, there are there, stories. And in fact, my dad lives in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And, you know, he talks about uh, they went to bed with 30 inches of snow and woke up and there was none. You know, it's it's just incredible amounts of, of water that went into the rivers in a short amount of time. Do you have any advice for um, broadcasters or really any meteorologists that are sharing information with the public, how to effectively communicate river flood hazards? Everything I see, and I watch the TV meteorologist because, you know, it's just a, a habit and it's, you know, it's, it's something that I, I really enjoy. But I just love the way... <laughs> you talk about weather safety and, and, uh, and, and flood safety, like the trying to get the point across to people that driving through flooded roadways is not the thing to do. And we still struggle with that today. You know, in the last 50, 60, 70 years, put somebody on the moon and brought them back safely. And we, you know, we split the atom and we splice the gene and we have all these great things, but we, we still have trouble stopping people from driving through flooded roadways. It, that is so, so very true, but we can never stop sending that message. Um, we can never stop sending that message. Yeah. I will, I will say in, in some defense, there yeah. have been some occasions where we've had some flash flooding here in the DC area where people didn't drive into the floodwaters. They were just sitting there and rush shower traffic. Is that right? And it, and it came up to them. Came to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, so, so that does happen too. I think that happened a little bit <laughs> in, in Ida, in, in, in like the Philadelphia and, and <laughs> New York city that that kind of happened to, to some people there right and that's and that's and that's a storm drainage argument yeah, as right, much as it right, is right right if you go uh, back and look at the statistics i think in if i remember the ones um from 2021 i think there were 146 flood deaths that year and ida had a big impact there and i think over half of those were flood people from driving into flooded roadways and that's that's higher than our normal. I think our ten year average uh, ending in twenty twenty one was ninety eight, and uh, the thirty year average might have been in the upper eighties. But like the flood safety thing that that our partners in the media help us with, uh, you know, we can reach a lot of people, but you just have thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people listening to you. So we can't thank you enough for for the help you give us. Well, I think the Weather Service did a great thing with turn around, don't drown, too, yeah. because, I mean, it just rolls off the tongue yeah. and everybody <laughs> uses it. And everybody at first sounded silly saying it, but n nobody forgets that. Yeah. It's and the right. same thing with when the thunder roars, go indoors. Doors, like, those are yeah. two things my kids know. So and, remember. 
and I think the language of flash flood emergencies have given uh, us in the media a little extra muscle right. to deliver that. You know, when you're not just talking about water over a, a roadway or heading towards your house or right. camper or whatever, you have you have basically a stream on land coming right yeah. at you, right? Flowing right. water. I mean, seriously, life threatening stuff. Right. It's rare that you have that wall of water coming at you, but when you do. Now we have something to tell you, you know, to alert you to this is this is the one. And in the and in these days of social media, we can share uh, reputable, reliable videos of of, right. of the phenomenon taking place. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of um, you know graphics and whatnot, and in these days of GIS, you know, ge uh, geographical information systems, you talked about it a little bit before the interview. We now have access to what are called inundation maps. Right. This this could I mean this is a tremendous tool when it comes to referencing past flooding impacts based on forecasts. Uh, tell us a little bit more about these inundation maps and uh, how right. people at home may start, you know, they may, they'll start seeing them on air and online and in their apps. Yeah. So right now we have a handful of points uh, across the nation and many of them are in uh, the mid-Atlantic uh, where we have static maps that'll tell you how high the water will get based on our flood forecast. And those are at specific points, and they're only for a narrow section upstream and downstream of that point. But um, we're getting into a more robust system, and it's going to be rolled out here uh, in the fall. And uh, it's eventually go nationwide, but it's starting in, in a couple of small locations. And one of those locations is the Susquehanna Basin up here in, in Pennsylvania. And it's not only going to be for those specific points, but it's going to be for all the small little streams. And we're going to take some computer model data that shows you how much rain is going to fall and run that through uh, some applications and be able to create maps that'll tell you that the water's going to get up and get, uh, get to, you know, house A on Main Street, but not house B on Main Street. And that's going to be something that has never been done before. That's amazing. Real time. Yeah. It, it, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of computer power to produce this. Uh, it takes a lot of input data. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of chance for error. And we're working on yeah. lowering that, the, those, those bad, that bad data. Uh, but, the, the results that we're seeing are are exciting. And you know, we're as good as our last forecast. Yeah. And so we have to put out good Very much. data. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're striving. I think in a, fl I think in a flash flood, uh, someone on point at point B seeing the house on point A wash away, yeah. I, I think they'll appreciate <laughs> getting the heads up that they were close enough. They were close enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, you know, you have to use some, some logic. You know, you're that close, you have to be right. And as warnings in general in all types of weather get better and better and smaller, I think people are taking them a lot more seriously. Yeah. I, you know, and that, that's, it makes a good point. You know, we were, we used to warn for county level, mm -hmm. even if it was in the smallest part of the South, you know, the Southeast part of the county, you know, everybody in the county got warned. I remember. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. People are like, what now is we're, this warning? We're I don't live anywhere near there. Well, and that's that's one reason I, uh, another reason I wanted to uh, uh, be part of this podcast. It was part of my idea. Right. Uh, I mean, even river and stream flood warnings used to be at the county level. And so right. they didn't, they didn't affect a lot of people. But now yeah. in these days of apps, some folks who don't live on the wow. river and the stream are getting bulletins on their on their phones. So even though it may not directly impact them, maybe if they, maybe now they'll just, they'll know what that yeah. bulletin meant before they delete it. They'll know what it meant. Yeah. And if they're driving that way to work or whatever, at least they have a heads up that something's, something's down there. And that's right. the great thing about the bulletins. It'll, yeah. it'll say like the 200 block of stick lane that's is right. going to be inundated with water at this time. We're trying. Well, thank you for all you do, David. Uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to toss in? Oh, no, just I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of of the River Forecast Center. So I don't think uh, you we in the broadcast. David, did you know uh, that? Well, that's one. Uh, <laughs> hey, I remembered your name. And but yes, but I, I, I do think the River Forecast Centers across the country do a tremendous job. It's definitely a job that broadcast meteorologists don't have the time to do themselves. But, but yeah, I, and I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now. And maybe I'm a little starstruck. Um, <laughs> it's a great feeling for us when we see our data on TV, you know, and, and know that it's another avenue to get to the people that need it. Well, it's going to be even more rewarding to know that you save someone's life, too. I mean, you know, that and just the, the you know, the, uh, the, the story you told about your friends in Lancaster. You know, I kind of got a little bit of a chill that they saved all their electronics uh, because you you gave them a call and and they knew that the, the you know their basement might get flooded. You know that that kind of stuff hits home. So I appreciate that. Sure, absolutely, and thanks for all that you do and all your colleagues and everyone else and all the other river forecast centers across the country. Keep us updated on those inundation maps. We can't wait to Be see well. them. First Street Foundation is a nonprofit that's been doing extensive research into climate modeling and working to find ways to make climate risk factors understandable to individuals, governments, and industries. They just released a report on their new precipitation model this week, and the results are a bit alarming. So basically, the gold standard for flood expectations right now is NOAA's Atlas 14. So when you hear people talk about a 100-year flood, it comes from that Atlas 14 data. They're working on updating this. In fact, Atlas 15 is in the works right now, but it could be years before it comes out. Here's Dr. Jeremy Porter from First Street. But the problem with the way that the NOAA Atlas 14 estimates were computed is that it's actually not taking climate change into account. So the estimates are reverting back to a median, which in lots of times is like a 1980s or 1970s climate versus the climate that we're living in today. In a one in 100 year depth, in the NOAA Atlas 14 is actually maybe a one in 20 year depth or a one in 50 year depth. And one of the biggest findings from our report was that over half the population in the US, about 51% of the population lives in a county where NOAA Atlas's one in 100 year depth is actually a one in 50 year event. So their one in 100 year storm is likely to occur twice as often as they expect. And we reached out to NOAA for comment. And while they told us they don't comment on other organizations, research or products, they did send us a statement. In calling the ATLAS process the authoritative and national standard, NOAA wrote, the ATLAS methodology undergoes a rigorous peer review process and employs broad stakeholder engagement to ensure that those who use ATLAS are involved in producing it and are confident in the outcomes. If you want to check out your flood risk, First Street Foundation has a pretty cool website called riskfactor.com. 
You can put in your address and it'll pull up maps showing you what your risk of not only flooding is, but all climate change impacts like wind and wildfire. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes publish every Tuesday. If you have a weather nerd in your life or you know someone that could be impacted by river flooding, please share this episode with them. We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show. Give me some ideas for future episodes. This podcast is produced, hosted, and edited by me. Special thanks to Eric Newell and Ryan Berlin for their help, and of course, to Matt Ritter for co-hosting the episode with me. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day.
No, they have the funding, it, like a lot of government agencies, there, there's a tremendous amount of bureaucracy. It's, not, it's really no fault of NOAA. Uh, NOAA has all of these steps that they're mandated to go through to get approval on their different precipitation records. Uh, they have to work with communities. They have to work with scientists. They have to work with a lot of different constituents to be able to actually produce uh, these records. Uh, you know, we were, we, we were produced something that we think is pretty similar to what Atlas 15 is going to look like, but we don't have all of those those requirements or hurdles that we have to that we have to clear. So you know, we, we expect that what we're putting out now is what NOAA Atlas 15 is going to look like or something very similar to that. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 